Yeah, doing good. Just a busy week. Short week, but a busy week. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we finally got to do this. You know, you're somebody that I've had on my radar for the last four years. Uh, Well, thanks, man. Yeah. I I was going to introduce myself to you. I was in Nashville during the NAMM show last time. And uh, I was actually there to interview uh, Brent Mason yeah. for my show. And I saw you, you were at his show at third and Lindley and yeah, yep. I, didn't want, I didn't want to bother you. So I didn't come up and introduce. Oh you. yeah. That's never a problem at all, man. Yeah. <laughs> Next time you see me, just grab me. Yeah. Well, I'll do, I'll do that. I'll do we'll that. Grab a beer or coffee or something. That would be great. That would yeah. be great. I didn't realize you were just across the border. I'm in the Chicago area. Oh Yeah. So you're yeah. not really that far from me. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to know. And uh, also, too, you know, uh, I'm a guy that loves pedals. I collect pedals. I, you know, you, you probably have more than I do, but I've got hundreds. <laughs> and I got to say, uh, I've been, I'm one of those guys that when I get a, on a kick with something, I got to have them all. And then I go through them and go through them and go through them. And then I figure out which one's my favorite <laughs> and it, and it never changes. That's always my favorite. And, uh, your, your first, I think it's the, uh, the Fox tape echo, the very first mm-hmm. one you did. Yep. The Without the tap one. tempo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We man. did a, we did like a grayish hammer tone and a, and an orange one. I think at that time. Yeah. I yeah. love that pedal, man. That's like my, my favorite, but I oh, have the ego. I have the plexi. I have the tumness. I have, uh, the, uh, dual fusion. Oh, wow. I got a bunch well, of thanks, them. man. I appreciate great that. pedals. Well, thank you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, I'm sure, sure you've done this with a hundred other people, but I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how you fell into making pedals. I'm guessing that you had a love for guitar from the, from an early age yeah i so i was uh seven when i started wow and my my brother was a drummer and he it, I, I distinctly remember i was at he was having band practice and the guitar player had a flying v and i was just like that is the coolest thing i've ever seen yeah and both of my brothers were big time into music my other brother didn't play anything but he's my other brother actually introduced me like into Van Halen and Scorpions, like all the classic rock stuff. Right. So he, I, I get a lot of my musical influences, I guess, is where he's that started from him. But this brother uh, played drums. And so I'm like, I want to learn to play guitar. So at seven years old, I asked my parents for guitar and uh, got one. And, you know, just like every kid back in the 70s, just kind of fumbled my way through listening to the radio and, you know, record, trying to record off a of radio and, and learn to play songs. And, um, and that, and that's, that was what I did play guitar, played in bands up until about 2002 or so. And that's when, um, I, I mean, I always kind of like to work with my hands and build stuff and, and tinker with stuff. And I saw that there was communities that were doing like DIY stuff, mods to pedals. And I was like, doesn't seem that hard. I've got a soldering iron, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, what well, they're, tell, they're telling me how to do it right here. So, you know, I, I got this Boss DS1 or whatever. I'm just going to go ahead and try it. And I was hooked, absolutely hooked. I'm like, you're telling me if I could change one part, it can make things sound different. And I didn't know anything about electronics at all. I just knew that when you change that part, it made it sound different. 
So at that point, that's when I'm like, I've really got to just dig in and learn this. And so I started as a hobby and building pedals, driving back and forth from here to Nashville and, uh, and everywhere else I could play. And um, it, it just seemed like people were more interested in my guitar pedals than they were in me playing with them. <laughs> the other guitar players would be like, what pedal is that, man? That sounds great. Mm. You know, so sold a little bit on eBay and um, just build it up from the grassroots, really. It was yeah. kind of, I kind of fell into it, but it's not like I stumbled and then Guitar Center said, we want to buy a thousand of these. You know, it was right. very, very small at first. So, so uh, I mean, it's got to be difficult. I would think, you know, trying to, you know, maybe launch a new company or a new pedal into the market, because as you, you know, it probably before, before, you know, there was Wampler, you know, you had the DODs and the MXRs and, you know, all these other pedals that were out there that you have to compete with. How difficult was it to break into the, into the market, you know, cause you mentioned, you know, mm. you did it, you know, P you know, grassroots style, which, which I completely understand, but it's got to be extremely difficult to take a pedal to market to where, you know, somebody like Sweetwater or Guitar Center or whoever is yeah. you know, carrying thousands. Of well, there was a lot of steps to get to that point. Um, at the time that I came into it, I came into it at the right time because that was when like the boutique pedal industry was kind of blowing up. Uh, full tone was in there analog man was in there keely was in there and it, I, like i started about the same time jamie from earthquaker devices started josh from jhs was a little after me maybe a year or so so we were all kind of together um <laughs> excuse me and so um and you know we just we all kind of stumbled into it in, in, the, in the same sort of way and so Whenever we were selling at that level, at a smaller level, I mean, it was a lot of calling retailers and seeing, you know, if you could, if you, if they would be willing to buy a few of your pedals, you know, and just doing a lot of salesy marketing type stuff, which is just, you know, kind of uh, unfortunate, necessary part of the business. But, um, you know, and as you do that more and as you build an audience and as you just really just grind it out then you know you start getting noticed by the bigger players the sweet waters of the world you know and um and that's so i mean it it wasn't like it was just like incremental steps all along the way and and so e even now like i look at mxr and you know companies like that and i have a lot of respect for them but i feel like we're kind of a different aspect of the pedal market than they are i mean you know you can you can find an MXR or a boss in every single music store almost on earth, right? right. But with something like us or uh, or JJS or whoever, I mean, it's you, you kind of have to go to a shop that sells higher end gear, you know, something like like a Friedman amp, for example. You're not going to find a Friedman everywhere, but um, you know, you'll find it in shops that sell higher end gear. Right, right. So did did you? Uh did you take it upon yourself to you know maybe get in your car and drive around the country to all these little stores and knock on doors did you do it that way i mean because so, i know guys now that are reps for companies like yours yeah you know that that's what they do you know you probably know larry shara maybe mm -hmm. i don't know but you know that's what larry does he goes around the country and knocks on doors did you do that same thing in the beginning i did not i just made a lot of emails sent a lot of emails uh, made a lot of calls yeah. Uh, I know, I know like Zach, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Vax, Zvex, 
that, mm-hmm. you know, he started out in the 90s. And uh, yeah, I think it was the later 90s. And that's what he was doing. He was driving from place to place. But um, luckily, by the time I got there, I mean, retailers were accepting of this new boutique industry. And so they were looking for newer products. And um, it, it just, just like I said, a lot of calls, a lot of, a lot of emails, a lot of follow up, a lot of spreadsheets, keeping track of conversations that you've had with these people. You know, it's um, uh, the pedal business is weird in that, especially at this time, getting it going, there was very little of pedal stuff going on (laughs) and not as much as I wanted. In fact, I, I wanted a lot more. And as it got bigger, um that kind of became like part i didn't like about the business and that, that's it's since changed now um with our current arrangement with boutique camps distribution but um but i mean it's you know it's it's kind of a, a necessary part i think but we, we didn't really have to drive around i didn't drive around or anything like that yeah i mean i'm an introvert by nature anyway so I, i'm not <laughs> <laughs> well you don't come across that way but i get it so so today though let's say somebody wanted to kind of follow down that path today sure. and they wanted to make pedals because i know there's a lot of companies out there still there's a lot of guys still trying to make them how difficult is it today versus when you were launching you know hmm. yourself? It's a lot more difficult today. I mean, the the pedal, well, the pedal industry, the guitar industry, the amp industry, they're all so saturated with all kinds of companies. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like music in a way. I mean, there's more artists now than there ever has been, right? Ever, ever, it seems like everyone with a, with a DAW is putting out a record or release of some <laughs> sort, which I'm not saying is bad. It just makes it harder to gain traction, you know, because they have so many people and, um, you know, not there's not a lot of people that are going to go looking for the niche guitar pedal stuff. Uh, more, I mean, more so now than 15 or 20 years ago. But I, I think uh, you still see people pop through. I'm thinking of uh, Poison Noises popped through recently. Um, Reeves Electro did something really cool where like they're hand wiring circuits and they have like this un- a unique aspect of what they're doing. E- each of these companies that kind of break through, in my opinion, seems like there's a unique aspect. Maybe it's the type of stuff they're doing. Maybe it's the look of it. Uh, maybe it's just the way that they engage with their audience. I, I mean... Everyone hates the term influencer, but unfortunately, and with the pedal world, I mean, you kind of end up being an influencer of sorts, whether you're a Josh Scott or you're a Jamie Stillman or you're Zach Bex or Robert Keeler, whoever. I mean, people kind of know you right. and know that you create guitar pedals, you know, versus who's who's running MXR, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... We could find that out, but it, I, there's not an image that pops in my head directly when I think of of the head of MXR. Right, right. Yeah, e- exactly. Because when I think of a lot of the pedals and stuff that I use and have used over the years in that, it's like I, I've come to know the people behind it. You know, right. it's, I mean, they're, they're really accessible. Same with boutique guitars and boutique amps and stuff yep. like that. You come to know them in that. Now, I noticed that in in your in your lineup of pedals, uh, one of the things that's pretty dominant and and correct me if I'm wrong is overdrives. Mm-hmm. You seem to have quite a few overdrives. You know, I, I notice. I mean, you have some delays and some compressions and stuff like that. Yeah. But you're not like a guy that's got you know a bunch of flangers and phases and 
you know, univibes yeah. and things like that. Is there a reason why, you know, mm -hmm. you stuck and stayed in that? Yeah, I mean, so I would preface it with we do have some of that stuff, like our terraform pedal, which I don't have one near me, but it's like a, a it's a multi, so it's got eleven different uh, modulations in one. So chorus yeah. phase, rotary speaker, all all that kind of stuff. Um, we do have some delays as well, but my heart has just ever since a kid i was a kid it's always been in dirt and um a compression basically just clean tones clean clean whether it's not only like a clean guitar but a, a, the way you overdrive a guitar in um in an organic way that's probably a better way of putting it just something something that feels not like a pedal you know that was the thing when i was growing up like I didn't have Marshall stacks in the eighties. I always wanted one, yeah. but I didn't have the cash, you know? So I had a little solid state amp and I was trying to figure out how do I sound like Eddie Van Halen through this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Step one, practice. Right. <laughs> Step two, practice some more. Cause you're still right. not good enough. But, but I mean, and that's where I was coming from. Like I would buy a pedal and I'm like, it, like it is distorting, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It feels kind of like a cheap toy. Um, and so getting into it, like that's what I was always trying to achieve is I want my distorted sounds to feel, I want it to be where if you plug it in, someone's like, is that an amp I'm playing through or is that a right. pedal, you know? And so that's just been, it's always just been a passion of mine completely. And it just doesn't go away. I'm never satisfied with it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love, uh, I, you know, I have, you know, like you probably, I have just a, a ton of amps really great amps, a lot of different amps, but I'm a guy that I always play every single one of them 100% clean because I love using pedals and stacking overdrives, you right. know, to create different, you know, uh, uh, tones that way in that. And uh, that's one of the things that I, I've liked about your lineup of pedals because you actually have made some pedals that are you know, like the, the, the dual fusion or the, the Tumnus, for instance, I mean, those are really, really great pedals. And, uh, you know, it, and I've always taken them and experimented with them and stacked them up against each other and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the overdrive pedal has always been, you know, everything else is just like fluff to me. Right. <laughs> you gotta have a really good overdrive. I mean, if you're not using the amp system, you know, right. And, and I'm guessing you're the same way because you have so many you know once again your focus even though you have other pedals your focus is on drives and so i'm guessing that you probably thinking along the same terms pretty much i mean i've I've changed a lot over the years really as as a player yeah. and i think that's that's kind of changed also like my thinking around guitar tones in general so like for me um i've been doing a, a little bit of session work lately and 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 just writing some stuff for myself as well but it seems like there's times where you know going through an slo slo 100 or i have an slo 30 which i love but like going through that slo that's the sound i want that's it i don't want a pedal i just want guitar and an amp cranked or even a, like a plexi or something like that like that and those are all sounds but there's also a time where I just want a hint of a little tube screamer into a Fender amp, or I just want just a touch of grit, no mid hump, but I just want a touch of grit from a pedal into a, a clean Vox or something like that, or maybe even a Vox that's on the edge of breakup and just push it a little forward. So I, 
I think I kind of look at it like if overdrive pedals or in distortion pedals were meals, you know, like I don't want the same thing every time I want. Sometimes I want this. Sometimes <laughs> I want that. Other times I want this type of thing. So it's just really dependent on my mood that day. Because, I mean, now, I mean, like I said, I started out doing like the classic rock stuff and then ended up moving more towards a bluesy area through uh, maybe late. Eh, let me think here. So 90s, I went into like alternative, alternative rock type, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, et cetera. Um, and then, then I kind of got into country, a little bit of like blues and stuff, but that I tend to like the country stuff more. Not that I don't like the blues. It's just for whatever reason I have, it's easier for me naturally to, to like chicken pick. Mm -hmm. it, it just, it just came real natural where shredding and alternate picking is super hard for me to do even after all these years. So for, for whatever reason, I, that's kind of how I just gravitate to and, um, but having all those influences, I love jazz too, but I can't play it at all. But, but, uh, but I mean, like having all those different influences kind of, I guess, kind of changed the way I look at guitar in general, really. Cause to, it's, to me, there is no one good thing. I mean, I have a Kemper that I use from time to time, you know, and no pedals. So I'll just plug into the Kemper and go. Cause so it's just, it just depends on what I'm doing really. Right. And so what's the process for you like today? when it comes to developing something new i mean what's your thought process behind it is is there is there is it through something that you hear or see and you go wow i kind of like that but i wonder if i could do that but you know do this with it is it like that or are you somebody that just goes okay i've already got this now let me see where i can mm -hmm. i can take it i mean it, what's the process sure it's so a little of everything really there yeah. are times where um, uh, breadboarding one particular type of circuit maybe it's an overdrive or something and um, and a, a lot of that as you're designing stuff sometimes you're experimenting well what happens if i put a different type of gain structure on top of this mm -hmm. and you know let's say that turns into a fuzz and you're like wow that's a cool sound <laughs> you know and so then you, your attention diverts and you're like i think i'm going to see if i can make a fuzz out of this circuit that's cool so there's those times and then uh, we have a pedal called the, we have a Pantheon and a dual Pantheon, which is basically, it's based around the Marshall Bluesbreaker pedal circuit. And um, so in that situation is where I had so many of our customers asking us for a Bluesbreaker style pedal. And I'm like, well, I, I don't like doing just straight up clones. I just don't like doing it. To me, that's, that feels like putting out a, like, it feels like putting out an album full of cover songs. I mean, I will, but I would rather do my own thing. I'd rather put my own spin on it. So, so that's what I try to do. When people ask for for circuit a, a pedal that's based on an existing circuit, I kind of try to put my own spin. And if I can, like I'll have the original version, but you know, maybe you turn a switch or you add, or maybe I add some EQ or something that you can change it into something completely different. That I just I you know my heart's in in that part of it a little bit more than just making a clone. But it, yeah. it it gets all over the place. I mean, it's 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 all driven by inspiration, really. You know, and, and there's no one place that 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 comes from for me. Right. One of the things that I I like about what you do, Brian, is that the players that you have pedals for are not the guys that I mean, excluding Brad Paisley, of course. 
they're not really the guys that most people would think would, you know, you would, you would think that, okay, if you're going to make right. a pedal, you're going to do a, an, an Eric Johnson pedal or, a, you know, a Steve Lukather pedal or, you know what I mean? Something like that. But you, I mean, you've got really great players that you've made pedals for, you know, with, uh, uh, oh my God, Brent Mason and uh, the dual fusion guy. Oh, Tom Quayle. Yeah. Tom Quayle, who's yep. flat out amazing. And, you yep. know, and, and somewhat still a little bit obscure is, mm-hmm. is it that you, you heard those guys and there was something about them that you said, Hey, I got to make something for them. Or did they, yeah. come to you, um, I think there's a little bit of both. So, okay. I mean, with Tom Quayle, he was interested in working with that was been a while. That's what was that? 2010 or 11, somewhere, yeah. maybe 2012. So I think he, he was interested in us. And then um, one of the people that worked for me said, Hey, Tom's interested in working with you on something. And I, I hadn't ever heard of him at that point. And so I started digging his stuff and I was like, man, this guy's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God. And, um, and so like, it, there's like this mutual respect thing and I'm like, yeah, let's do something. Absolutely. He's killer. And a- Andy Wood, same sort of, same sort of thing a little bit, except I had known Andy just from, you know, having a lot of Nashville friends and Andy runs around a lot of the same circles. And so I knew he was a great player. I knew that he was, you know, elevating in status in in his own niche community. And he was interested in working with us too. And so like, that was, to me, that's, that's a very win-win situation. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not to name names exactly, but there's very few times where like, there's this big, huge name that, uh, you know, comes to us and says i would like to you to build me a product and i'll only charge you five hundred thousand dollars to use my name you know those sort of situations are like just not interested i just i have guitar pedal money not not ridiculous money you know this is right right right. this is just enough to make a living sort of thing because i would (laughs) i would think when you when you have because i i know from my podcast you know, I mean, we have we have a very large listenership in a lot of countries. And so I'm constantly getting emails where people are asking for something, you know, what, what whatever it is. I mean, there's a variety of things. And I would think, you know, being one of the uh, and I'm going to call you this one of the premier pedal makers. Oh, thank you. In the in the in the guitar world, I would think that you would just have so many people coming at you wanting endorsements or wanting pedals made or something like that uh a a bit you know it's endorsements are weird in that i mean and you hate to say it but it's just the truth generally the people and i'm stereotyping completely you know and overgeneralizing probably but it seems like when people come at you and say hey i want an endorsement they're typically doing that with a lot of companies and typically they're not just not at the level that you're going to give them an endorsement just yet. Yeah. I mean, more often than not, when we're doing an endorsement, it's, it's something that I offer to someone else. They're not asking me. I'm just like, Hey, I love this stuff you're doing. I mean, you know, how let's, let's work together and make something, you know, or let's, let's work together and whatever you want, you know, I'll, I'll throw you a few pieces here and there and, I'll just take care of you. When you're on the road, something breaks, let me know. I'll, I'll get one to you. 
you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of, um, I keep saying mutual respect, but it's just the love of music in general, really. I mean, it, that's really at the heart of it is loving the artistic side of creating a medium that speaks to, you know, millions of people everywhere. And the little small part I get to play is I get to help this person make a sound with a guitar. Yeah. 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 That's gotta be, that's gotta be uh, pretty rewarding. I would think to know that you play a part in somebody's sound, you know, uh, especially when, you know, when it's, it's a, a really great player, you know, I hate to use the name Brent Mason, but he is an amazing player to have somebody like that, you know, uh using your stuff in in uh, you know in your what you've created helps do you know make their sound i think that's that's got to be really rewarding it really and is yeah i'm guessing from talking to you because we've never met before but i'm guessing by just the way you come across that if that was all it was that would be enough for you it, it, yeah, I mean, there's always that aspect like I like to keep the lights on, you know. <laughs> so I like to eat, I like to keep yeah, the lights on. <laughs> I like to pay my bills. But other than that, you know, like I said, I have guitar pedal money. It's just because there's no one getting rich in the guitar pedal industry or the amp industry or the or, or well that I know of. Everyone I've talked to is like, I'm doing all right, you know, but if I want to make a bunch of money, like I'll invest in houses and build a bunch of houses or something, right. or or whatever rich people do. I don't know. But but I mean it's it's a labor of love. We're doing this because not because it's super profitable when we're rolling around in our Lamborghinis or anything like that. You know, yeah. we're all still driving our little chevy vehicles or whatever (laughs) you know living in our our, i mean living we're living okay we're doing good but it's not about that you know it's just it's so far it's just all about the art side of creating electronics or guitars or whatever and putting it in getting it out to the world so people can do something awesome with it and that sounds it kind of sounds cheesy now that i say it out loud but and there's probably a more elegant way of me putting that but to me that's what it feels like like i get such a kick at hearing my stuff on these songs that mean a lot to me yeah you know like uh, if i hear vince gill playing the eagles i know i've i've vince uses a ton of our stuff yeah. and i'm like that is so i grew up with the eagles that's so cool <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so is there something that you have you know on your mind right now that you want to make that you haven't Oh, there's so much yeah just tons there's i have so many different ideas i don't know if i'll ever be able to get them all done yeah because i mean coming out with a new product is a long hard process it's not super easy when, when you're making thousands of them uh, you know a year thousands and thousands of them so it's a, it's a big process yeah but i mean i've thought about maybe doing some smaller run stuff just to kind of get some of these ideas like out you know because yeah. i always feel like I feel like the ideas are piling up and I'm not, and I'm kind of spinning my wheels and I, I just, I want to get more stuff out there. Um, but I, I think, I think something's got to change there because I don't think everything can't be a major release. You know, it, it just, right. you end up having, what happens is, you know, you go to the Wampler pedals website and you're, and you're like, why is there 145 different overdrives and 300 different distortions? This is overwhelming, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> so in some sense, like you can't do that. You have to kind of have some sort of 
product line that makes sense. But at the same time, I got to get the stuff out of my head so I can sleep. Right. <laughs> right. So, so is it, is it cost effective for you, you know, as, as a builder manufacturer to say, okay, I'm just going to do a short run of these, of the specific pedal, an idea that you have, I'm going to throw it out limited. I'm gonna, only going to do a thousand of these or a hundred of these. I mean, is something like that worth it? And then, you know, if people love it, you know, then you can yeah. do what you want with it. I mean, I mean, it all helps, right? I mean, yeah. is it, is it super profitable? Not really at the end of the day, because you get, you get a lot of scale. You actually make a, you make more money off the bigger scale. So right. when you buy 5,000 of, of, um, you know, 5,000 circuit boards, that is a lot cheaper than buying 50 of the same circuit boards. So you get those economies of scale that, that help you, but also, I mean, when you're shipping out one pedal at a time and boxing it up and putting bubble wrap in it like that, the whole, everything that goes around with getting a pedal out the door, it just takes more time as well. So there's more of that type of labor involved. And I've, to be honest with you, I haven't even ran the numbers on it. It's just one of those things like, I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I, ho I hope there's some money at the end of the day for it, but <laughs> that's what I want to do. So how is, how is the, the your cost gone up over let's say the last five years when it comes to the parts that you need because i'm i'm sure with the way that the world is right now you know you know how much eggs are or a gallon of gas or whatever has it really you know hit you guys pretty hard too big time yeah yeah, yeah i mean there's oh gosh there was there's been some parts that are, you know, five times, five times, 10 times the cost is what they were four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is there's kind of this, this hard line of about $200 for a high end, you know, single channel pedal, basically, uh, for the most part. Now, I mean, there are some exceptions, like we sell the Paisley Drive that is just like a single pedal. It's a little more expensive. But, you know, that's just that's part of it whenever you're working with an artist. Um, I think, honestly, I think people are scared. I think companies are scared to kind of raise the price and make a little bit more because since that $200 has stayed the same since 2003. Yeah. 2002. Like that's that's where the boutique level price was. And when I started, it was 200 bucks. And um, and that hasn't moved. But prices have gone up and up. And so like, yeah, our margins are just getting razor, razor thin. So something's got to change there. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, for, for us, I mean, what what helps is to like put maybe like a dual size, like the dual fusion, because you can charge a little bit more because it is two pedals in one. But since it's all in one enclosure, it's just kind of like a big pedal electronic wise. So, um, so those can be a little bit more profitable, but. But then there's the marketing side of it. Some people don't want a, a bigger pedal. Some want the little mini pedals. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, those little mini pedals cost about the same <laughs> to make as the bigger ones. So, the, you know, there's just not a lot of profit in those. But if if that's what a person wants, then we exist to serve that customer, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. And then what about the competition with, you know, um, I don't know if I should say this, but what about the competition with China? When it comes to, you know, the, the pedals that are made over there by companies like uh, Rawling and, you know, that like, 
you know, they'll have 10 brands of the same pedal with a different, you know, different name. Yeah. And they're charging 35 bucks, 40 bucks for, you know, the small pedal that yep. you have to charge 80 or a hundred or, or whatever right. or, you know, I mean, how well, difficult is it to compete with that? Uh, honestly, I don't feel like we really do and, and because I feel like it tends to be a bit of a different type of customer. Yeah. And it reminds me, it reminds me like back in the 1980s, I was really big into BMX bikes and skateboards. And so, I mean, you could always go to like your Target or, or whatever and, and get like, you know, the inexpensive skateboard or the, or the inexpensive bicycle. But if you're really into bikes, if you loved racing bikes, you went to the bike shop and you bought a five or $600 bike, maybe more, because you were that serious about it. And the idea of going to that Target and buying that cheaper bike, that's great for some people, but you were just at a different level. You needed the next level because you could tell the difference between how that bicycle felt. It reacted to you different. And I think a guitar equipment is the same. I mean, pretty much. I mean, there. I, I would say there's some caveats with guitars a bit because I've got, I have like a Squire Telecaster over there, a baritone. I'm like, how was this $500? This is amazing. Right. You know? Like, I don't see how they did it, but this is great. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at least pedal wise, that's what it kind of seems because it's, it's expensive, like developing your own circuit. There's a lot of testing that goes into it. And there's a lot of unknowns versus someone um, that's making, you know, another version of the Zen drive for the, for the thousandth time or, or another tube screamer or something like, you know, that's going to sell. It's going to sell every time because everyone's familiar with the sound of it. Right. <clears throat> and um, there's uh, there's no, there's very little risk, you know, right. and especially if you're, just printing off different companies' names and shipping them out and letting them sell them all on, on Amazon or wherever, then, um, you know, it's just, it's just like a different model than what we're interested in doing. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm the customer that, that you're talking about. I've, I've never been, it's not about how much the pedal is. It's about, you know, the quality of, of the pedal, the sound, the, the uh, how much noise does it make and, you know, what, how does it help my, my tone and work with what I got going on? And, you know, there's always been for me as a player, and I know a lot of, a lot of players, and I think it's the same for a bunch of people. It's always been about, you've got a rep, a reputation of making the type of quality pedals that, that people want. And so I know for myself, I'll pay 300, I'll pay 500. I might pay $700 for a pedal if it's you know something that i i really right. feel you know when i spent the money i bought a, a, the ethos overdrive you yeah. know great pedal yeah it's like yeah it's a it's a great pedal but it was expensive at the mm -hmm. time when i bought it I, you know and i bought it used and it was 500 bucks <laughs> you know? exactly yeah so, so you know it's like uh but i i'm the kind of person that i'm willing to do that because i know the quality and that's and and you've kind of built that that I can say you've built that quality because I don't, I don't think I've ever had a pedal from you that I would go, Oh, this, this is shit. You know, <laughs> this is, this is crap. I can't believe I spent $250 on this pedal because you know, it's, it's junk. I mean, I've never bought a pedal from you and, and not used it, you know, or not liked it or not loved it. Or, you know, some of your pedals are still on that Fox, that, that Fox, uh, Tape Echo, I've got three of them. <laughs> They're on three different boards because I That's love great. 
I loved it so much, you know, and I know you've made other ones. I haven't even tried them. I just love that <laughs> pedal so much that, you know, I buy used ones all the time. Right. But, uh, but I think you're, you're exactly right. You know, that, that the, the market for the China stuff is completely different than the guys that are going to buy. You for, know. It's what it seems like. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, and a lot of this stuff, I mean, you kind of have to generalize in, in a way that, you know, you might offend someone They're like, wait a minute, I've got one of those Amazon basic pedals and it's great. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not. So, you know, that's not what I mean. I'm just saying, if I have to put a label on it, that's generally what it looks like, you know, right. it's, it's right. just a, it's a, it's not a big factor in whether we're going to sell more pedals this month or not. Right. Are you going to be at the NAM show this year in Anaheim? I, I know, um, well, like the business side of like the sales staff are going to be there. We're not exhibiting. Um, okay. We haven't exhibited since January, the January show in 2020. So it's okay. been a few years since we exhibited. And it's a shame because I, I miss going to the NAMs because I, I, that's when, you know, you get to see everybody, you see all your friends from other companies and you see all the customers who you email and talk with online. And that's a shame, but man, NAM makes it so expensive, like ridiculously expensive to have a booth. Yeah. And by the time you're looking at it, you're like, you know, I can spend $80,000 and go, or I cannot, because it's not going to affect my business if I don't. Right. You know, I like we're still going to do the same amount of business, but maybe I can take that $80,000 and I can put it into product development. You know, I'm going to pay some, the engineers more money so they we can develop some cooler stuff and some better stuff and some things that do more you know right answer right. things what about know? what about the smaller guitar shows i know there's a lot of them you know and that's i was talking to uh, eddie heinzelman um just i don't know if you know him he's a guy out of nashville and builds guitars uh, i think he builds guitars i know he works on them but um i was talking to him but he's going to the indiana guitar show here shortly and you would think that i have been there i've never been to the indiana guitar show that's 30 miles away from me wow. so and, and there's no good reason the only reason it was just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just didn't think about it. Right. right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I probably will go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be there. I'll have a, oh, cool. so, uh, the, the, one of the reasons I ask, and I hope you don't mind if I do this, uh, I actually put on the, uh, the well, guitar talk puts on the Illinois guitar and gear show in that we do a, uh, uh, guitar festival the night before, and we usually have we we pay people to come and you know do be there to do uh meet and greets mm -hmm. you know and when i found out you were in indiana i thought well maybe i'll ask him if he'd <laughs> like to come to our guitar show next year and be a part of the meet and greets because you know i know that there would probably be a lot of cool like this year we had joanna connor and jared james nichols and chuck wentler from blacktop mojo you know, and next year we got Paul Gilbert so far and oh, Carl cool. is going to be there. Carl's a good dude. I like him. Yeah. Great, great guy yeah. and stuff like that. But anyway, I always, I wondered, I always wondered why the bigger companies never really did anything at these smaller shows, because like, I know my show last year, you know, there was like 1200 people came through there in just a couple hours, hmm. you know? So uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, up to this point, our main model has been, um, you know, make a bunch of pedals and send them to all the retailers that that uh, we have contracts with or that we're affiliated with in some way and um, and sell, you know, sell them through the stores. 
but things are just kind of in this weird area right now, especially after COVID. Yeah. It just seems like there's even us, like we now have a reverb store, reverb.com store. We've never had a reverb.com store, but it, it, and it's weird because we're, it's, we're getting people that are asking us to asking to buy it direct. And I guess for support, you know, and I'm flattered that people would want to do that, but um, it's, it's, we've never really focused on like going to the guitar, at least not for a long time. We haven't focused on going to guitar shows and selling directly off the floor there. So you know, I'd be open to open to trying some of that for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before I let you go, what's on the table right now? What's getting ready to come out that you can't tell us about, but you're going to tell us about. <laughs> oh gosh. There's seriously things I cannot say. So I will. Okay. Well, think. Those, that's what we so, want to hear. So you want to I, hear the things you can't say. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll tell you what I can do. I can tell you. I, get to, I can't tell you the next release, but I can tell you some things coming up if that that's helpful. So we got uh, a delay reverb coming up. We have more compressors coming up. Uh, there's always different overdrives and distortions in the in the in the bank that's coming up. Um, I've been working really hard on an you know an IR loader is by chance. Uh -huh. yeah. Okay, so I'm do doing like an IR loader. It's got its own software as well. So, but it's it's a little bit different because you know I gotta I gotta have a distortion side to it that's analog, right? right? right. We can't do digital distortion. It's got to be the analog, but right. with the IR loading, which is a digital thing. So yeah, that's that's a bit of a fun thing to work on. But stuff like that takes a while. So when's that going to be released? I have no idea. You know. Yeah, yeah. So what's what is the time time link, or is you know is there from from the time of con conception to or the time you come up with the idea to the time it's done? I mean, it's, it is all over the place. I mean, sometimes there's been times where I've been working on a circuit and I'll put it away. Like I'll just work on it off and on because mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so driven by inspiration where I'll just, you know, I hear something like, Oh, I've been working on that circuit. I'm going to go work on that right now. Like I'm just, I'm just in the zone. I'm in the mood to do that today. So, and, and those things always, they always just work better for me. Like if, if it's inspiration and not driven by some sort of timeline that I got to meet, then I just feel it always makes for a better thing. But um, so, you know, some, some of those projects have taken a year or two, three, three on the Terraform to, to really make it to the final product. Other times where, and this has happened quite a bit where uh, I'll wake up in the morning and like, I or taking a shower and ideas will pop in my head. I'm like, Oh, I never thought about doing it that way. And so I'll run into here and start breadboarding it. And next thing you know, two days later, I'm sending it off to have a board laid out. We're getting prototypes back. And six months later, it's a product that's released. Yeah. You know, that's that's something like a, we did. Um, we did two like budget pedals, uh, the Phenom and the Triumph. Uh, those are $99 a piece. So there's only two to $99. And um, they, they were kind of that way. Well, the. Yeah, the overdrive was for sure. It was one of those things. It was like a shower idea. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got an idea. Yeah. And so that one, that one was super quick, but that's cool. Well, I tell you what, Brian, it was uh I appreciate you doing this. It was a pleasure talking to you, you know. No, I, my pleasure. Yeah. I, I, I love picking your brain. I love your pedals. I, I hate to say it. I watch your videos. I, you know, I, I do, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Wampler. So well, I, you me. know, I, I, I was going to ask you about it, but and that was your amp. 
Mm-hmm. That that was that was something that I I noticed that you've had. I've noticed you playing it and stuff like that. Is uh, and then when I went to your website because I went to your website today and it said that it was it was out of stock. In that is yes. that something? I mean, what was it? What what was it with the amp? Was it sure. you just couldn't find what you were looking for, or you just wanted something different, or or what is it about? Um, a little bit of both. So. That amp is based around like this the circuit, the circuit skeleton of like a blackface deluxe, which oh, okay. is like one of my favorite amps ever. But again, it's one of those things like I, I hate doing clones. I'm not just gonna make a blackface deluxe. So like that I kind of started from that preamp. Um, but the power section is 6L6. So I, I wanted a beefier power section, but I didn't want it as loud as a twin. So we're doing some different stuff there. Um using a special transformer that just sounds killer and saturates really nice. And then um, if you're familiar with the deluxe, there's like, there's a really dull side and there's a really bright side. I'm like, I need to make this on a switch, like six different selections all the way from dull all the way to bright. That way I can just dial in how much I want. So we did that and um, an effects loop, put a buffered effects loop on it because you got to with pedals. And um yeah, so, so that's so that's basically that amp using a Celestion. What is it? It's a cream back, cream back speaker in that, which works great for dirt. And um, but yeah, I don't I we did okay with cells. Like we we probably should have pushed it more. It also came out at a time where saturation of single ended amps was just it's hard to compete in that market. Yeah. And um, and it got marketed as like a pedal platform amp and that probably was kind of the wrong way to really phrase it because I think what it meant to some people is like a pedal platform amp means it's neutral. It doesn't have like any flavor or tonality. It's just neutral. Like, no, it's, it's not what I meant. I just meant it works great for pedals. (laughs) That's what I meant. That's what I should have said. Right. Um, So I, I probably, probably, you know, screwed that one up quite a bit, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we're going to do any more or not. There's, they're so expensive to do, especially right now. They weren't, I mean, building them one by one is just a time killer. And at the end of the day, you're like, we're probably better off just building more pedals. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, I'll still do some amps for me here and there. Right. But, um, you know, as far as what do we make 130, 50 of those, I think. Yeah. I'll stick with pedals, I think. That's, unless, that's unless we start talking gain, you know, if I can do some gain stuff, then maybe, maybe we'll dig back into it later. I don't know. Right. Well, I appreciate you telling me about it and I appreciate your time, Brian. I sure. really do. And hopefully I'll see you at the Indiana Guitar Show. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. You ought to come over. There's usually some nice stuff there. So. What uh, is that in Chicago or where's it at? Uh, the one that I do, mm-hmm. the one that I do is actually in Kankakee. It's an hour south of Chicago, or right okay. off of Interstate 57. Okay. Yeah. I I I I can't do it in the city, you know, it's just like it's too crowded. It's too dangerous. It costs too much. Yeah. You know, I want to make it affordable and, and that, and we have, you know, we had a Newman. I don't know if you're familiar with Newman guitars, not Newman guitars. huh? Oh man. Newman's in Indiana, huh. right by you. Really? They make guitar. The, Newman was the guitar tech for Keith Richards and Mick Taylor. Huh. And so he started building guitars for them and he's built guitars for, you know, them and, 
Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. And now, now they're one of their biggest uh, go-tos is uh, Billy Gibbons is ZZ top. Oh, wow. You know, okay. Does a lot of their guitars. And so they make really nice. They're one of the only companies that makes a five string hmm. in that. So they make really, huh. they're in your neck of the woods. Yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to look them up and, and see if we can hook up or something. Yeah. I've yeah, never, never played one. No, they're a great company. Great company in that. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't mean it takes up so much of your time. Oh, no worries. No worries. I Thanks really, for having me. Yeah, no. And uh, I'll I'll message you and let you know when this is going to air. So if you want to share, you can. Sounds great. All right, man. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care. You too.